It's been so long. I need to know what I've missed. What about those grandchildren we talked about? Karina and I were no longer together. She left me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have let her go, but there was so much I had to do. This has taken years of planning. What about your writing? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Star Trek Essentials by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt. Joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to bring you our third most requested episode uh, for our second block of the season here, Deep Space Nine's poignant The Visitor. Indeed, Pete, an episode that I know I've seen before because I've seen every episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, this is an episode that that uh, th- the beauty of it I, I was surprised by upon rewatch. Uh, certainly one of the greats, an excellent choice by our uh, by our audience here, and an episode that might have slipped by uh, if it was only me or or us making the list. Indeed, um, the fourth season, third episode of that season. You just come off the. Uh, it's actually both the second and third episode because of the way that the first two episodes, a two-parter, the way of the warrior function. But we we get out of the heavy Klingon wharf story and we get into this very personal, um, beautiful story. Uh, it's not perfect. We're going to discuss that. But uh, having aired here on October 9th, 1995, and um, – you know, you you jump into it, and and you know, there's a little bit of mystery to start, and and uh, certainly the way it unfurls is unusual. Absolutely unusual, and I think Pete, without without further ado, let's let's open with the, something that this episode does time and time again is visit a cliche, which should come off as cliche, but instead it works. And Pete, this tease opens with a dark and stormy night. Yeah, and something that Deep Space Nine had done in its first season, there was a noir-esque episode that begins with a misdirect like this. We've got, you know, the rain pattering down, the uh, the picture of uh, Cisco and his son Jake. We see a black man's hands grab a baseball. That's got to be Cisco, right? We see a pointy device uh, pulled out of a of a box, and then. Uh, an old man. Oh, all right. It's old Cisco. Something's going on here. He injects it into his neck. But wait, it's Tony Todd, Matt. It's Worf's brother from the next generation, who's also rumored to be involved heavily with Star Trek Discovery. And he's taking, Matt, what I call Chekhov's injection when the door chimes. That's not a sexual thing, by the way. <laughs> by the way, Pete, I would be remiss to not mention that uh, excellent uh, placement of the mirror over the fireplace. Uh, this as uh, yes. as as old Jake is uh, is is being introduced. It lets the one shot become a two shot. Jake go. Jake go indeed. So so tip of the hat there to to storied Star Trek director David Livingston. Uh, I believe, and I'm a little rusty on my Star Trek trivia, Pete. At least some of the old school trivia. I believe it is uh, for 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 he, for him, for whom uh, that uh, Picard's fish was thusly named. 
That I am unaware of, but what I am aware of is that, Matt, there, there's a lost little girl here in the woods who has scraped her forehead on a branch, which is apparently what happens in the bayou when uh, you're out there traipsing in the middle of the night. Now we know we're on Earth. Indeed, and uh, this too, it. And I don't, dear listener, I don't want you to think I'm I'm being critical here, but this here is another example of something that should be cliche. It's the, the the as you said, Pete, the girl in the woods. And furthermore, it's hey, I'm here to ask you a question to help introduce our story. It, it, it just works here, um, particularly since here we are as an audience still wondering why are we here in the future, and uh, you know we have a pondering of a life towards the end of its life. That this of of old Jake, it, it's just terribly effective in this in this uh, portion of the story. And then there's the question, Pete: Why did he stop writing? Yeah, but you know, to to come to this, it's it's a slow burn, Matt. Ooh, she's a writer, or she wants to be. Uh, just write already. I'm I'm not a fan of the. Oh, I'm an aspiring this. I'm I'm an aspiring garbage man. No, man, just be the garbage man. Pick up the garbage. Man already um writers write garbage men garbage whatever it is um but the truth was she was looking for him pete the woman as of yet unnamed uh has one central question why did jake cisco stop writing it's a long story and there's time hey that's like us we're here to listen to an hour-long story as well Old Jake says it's finally time to tell his story. He was 18, and the worst thing that could happen to him as a young man happened to him. His father died. Pete, even with willful suspension of disbelief, knowing that, okay, they're not killing off Cisco, or he's not going to stay dead, or whatever it is, the claim of the teaser act works nonetheless. It does. It's not perfect. You know, there's there's some some clunkiness um, but I would argue you don't get some of the better payoff in this episode without some of it. You know, the the self-effacing nature of the writer, I think, is an important thing. If you can't make fun of yourself, you you, you can't possibly pick on or exalt others. And when uh, she says that uh, he's the reason that she's in the bayou late at night – um, you know, uh, he is her favorite author. Well, you should read more. Um, oh, but your books are so insightful. Oh, I didn't even realize people still read them. Uh, we get the, the great work there that the friend recommended, uh, Anne Slim, what she read twice in one night. Um, and the collected stories was the only ever thing only having published two books, not much to show for a life's work that is there in a nutshell the thesis of this episode and that she wished she could get a second shot at seeing these stories again for the first time really the roundabout way of explaining this is what's going to happen in this episode but matt just like there's only one first time there's only one last time too well, Pete, you mentioned kind of the the uh, the resume of the writer, and I certainly don't mean to to 
make a cheap shot here, but let me let me read you some writing credits of of a writer that anybody listening to this podcast is going to know the 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 work of his I'll mention last. This is somebody who's written two episodes of Drop Dead Diva, two episodes of One Eight Hundred Missing, uh, some episodes of VIP. That's the Pam Anderson series. Uh, Chips ninety nine. Um, uh, Jake and the Fat Man, 21 Jump Street, oh, and Star Trek The Next Generation's The Inner Light. I, I, I was reminded of that as you were going through, uh, the, 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 the short resume here of, of old Jake Sisko. Morgan Gendel, who we've had the pleasure of meeting and who's delightful and who certainly has, has done well for himself as a professional writer and producer and whatnot, He's only he. I don't say only. He will be remembered for for all time as the writer of the Inner Light. Absolutely. And I, I I'm not trying to suggest that that he's written poorly or that we should judge Jake Sisko on only his couple of novels and whatnot. But you just you just need that one. You need that one special one to to live forever through your through your work. And here, Michael Taylor's The Visitor is Deep Space Nine's The Inner Light. I think that's difficult to argue with, particularly given that the show, which is so amazingly prescient, as the show gets old, as the show goes on, it becomes more and more uh, serialized, which was not going on in the 1990s, certainly the way it is now, certainly the way it, it picked up in the 2000s. So it's a show that somehow anticipates the future of television. But here we have one of the great exceptions of Deep Space Nine, where it is completely standalone to the point that you could take a person off the street with no Star Trek experience, show them that teaser, and they'll be like, wow, this guy, he's he's old and apparently used to be younger on the show because the pictures in the beginning told me that. And his dad died. Wow. Loss of a family member. That's incredibly relatable, even what with the sciencey science or whatever. Uh, and that's kind of the episode in a nutshell. It, it, it works on this tremendously human level. This search for a, a writer with tremendous success but limited works is not a new type of story. We look in both, uh, you know, popular culture, whether J.D. Salinger or Harper Lee, or in, um, you know, fiction like a Finding Forrester uh, that would come out a couple years after this work, and and it's been done. But to do this in a science fiction setting, this episode, while tethered to science fiction, could be told in in any other medium. Maybe. I think parts of it could, but this, as we'll explore, this uses the the framework of science fiction in a way where they say, science science, time travel. I don't know how you get that on, you know, a ship crossing the Atlantic in the year 1700, but I suppose we'll get there when we get there. Well, isn't it ostensibly a ghost story? It is, but the solution is... and. And I'm in no way being critical. This is how science fiction works at its best. The solution is, and then something science. Conclusion. Things are different. <laughs> I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, it's not like, it, it, it's not like, gee whiz, Pete, today I fell down a hole. And I, I, after seeing this episode, I realized what I need to do is I need to dig myself out. No, this is, I need to re reinvert the subspace coil <laughs> thing to reflash. The, you know, like, 
again, no, I'm not being critical there. I'm just saying the way the episode works is they get to go magic science, go back in time, erase. It was all a dream, kind of. Which, side note, you're also not supposed to do in most stories. Say, thanks for investing your time with us. It was all not real. But, but Matt, Matt, today of all days, this young writer has shown up and... Uh, beyond that cliche of the perfect timing, we get, well, you know, the worst thing that can ever happen to a man. His father dies, ends the tease. And Matt, I'm asking my TV, but wait, wouldn't that be public? The, you mean the, the history of his yeah. family? Um, that his uh, dad died? I think you have, ironically, uh, I think you have hand of the writer a little bit here at the at the teaser act. I mean, it's something you have to serve it up here to the audience um, and get them that tease. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I offer no kind of in-story solution. It's just this is an episode that um, this is an episode that is more artificial in its storytelling than most. It just so happens to be so incredibly lovely that you don't see those flaws as flaws. They're just the things that hold the beauty up. Well, Matt, our first act here gets into exposition, of course, for the uninitiated on the father and son's relationship, how they had lost uh, his mother years before. Um, and, you know, the, the writer brings up, but oh, but your biography said you stopped writing so you could do scientific research. So, so now there's further mystery. Forget his dad dying, which is central. How do you become a scientist? There's also, too, I think, a little bit of a, of a, uh, a rough joining of the teaser in this first act in terms of like, Hey, why did you stop writing? It's a mystery. Hey, you stopped writing for scientific research. What scientific research? That's the new mystery. Again, just it's I see where they're coming from from both angles. It's just the 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 joint is a little rough. Well, Matt, Jake was working on a short story right before his dad died. We get our first flashback here. His father insisted they go to the Gamma Quadrant to see the wormhole subspace inversion, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But old Jake he could hide on the Defiant and get that paragraph just the way he wants it. Cisco here is the paternal sage reminding his writer son he's got to see life now and then meanwhile the wormhole ups the ante by outputting a lot of energy and darned if they can't get in touch with engineering both cisco's are there and the core uh it, the core is going to explode better eject it and then pete the most perhaps well-worn malfunction of the entire star trek universe the core can't be dumped yeah it's it's definitely a trek cliche um Moments before, though, in, in the quiet, again, the, the circular pattern of this episode, the idea of a writer needing to poke his or her head up once in a while, see life going on. And it was always these scenes uh, and this type of material that really Avery Brooks just brought to an even higher level throughout the run of this series. I think that he can be 
unappreciated. I think less so now than when, for example, Deep Space Nine started. Um, the 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 arc that the character ultimately was on for all seven seasons is not readily apparent in the first season. At this point, you're starting to see, okay, his promotion to captain, and you're starting to see certainly Brooks uh, having long since settled into the role. Here in his interactions with Sirik Lofton's Jake, you just see a genuine bond between both actors, Pete, and both characters. And the moment that deal struck, of course, the Defiance gravimetric field surges, warp core problems, can never dump it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that day, Matt, just like this day of all days, on that day of all days, he didn't do what he was told. And Jaco goes to engineering, Dax is yelling from the bridge, and Dad gets zapped. And suddenly, Matt, we have Ghost Dad. Let's not forget, too, that before Cisco gets zapped, he needs a giant hoozy watts, which is big <laughs> enough to catch the eye, particularly when it's used, you know, later in the in the climax of the story. You mean the 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 giant space bar? Uh yes, indeed, the giant the giant space tea. Um and uh as I have in my notes here, Cisco then gets space zapped and disappears with a flash of light. Again, not not meaning to make light of it, just uh it's this is an episode that wears its science fiction on its sleeve, and I mean that in the best sense possible. Back to old Jake, who recounts that he's never really gotten over the loss of his father. So that's what we get for laughing at giant T's and space dad. A reminder, Pete, that old Jake is hurting. Well, maybe Matt, we should make inner light of it. Um, the memorial flashback happens. We have Kira speak how. Um, Cisco was the emissary of her people, but also a friend. There's a rather touching, uh, you know, image of um, Jake laying down and Dax kind of cradling him. She felt, of course, responsible. Even mourn, Matt, mourns for Benjamin Cisco. There's also a- an incredibly emotionally honest moment uh, with. Uh, Quark ostensibly letting Nog out of work a little early to keep his hollow sweet time with Jake, the heartless Ferengi uncle showing his soft side for the son of the dead captain. Back at home, life starting to resume its uh, its normal paces. Jake is awoken by a space flash of Cisco sitting there. By the way, Jake was uh, sleeping with the lights on, which is another Star Trek trope. And uh, Pete, that takes us to the act break. When we return... He's explaining from the future. He told uh, Dax it was uh, so real. She, of course, obliged him and made some scans. He felt ridiculous. And then we head back into this, you know, up in the air state, just like what we will come to learn of Benjamin Sisko. Uh, Jake is greatly in the same spot. He's in this procrastinative uh, time in his life. You know, he's playing a lot of Dom Jot. He's not writing. Meanwhile, there's all this Klingon tension. Matt, you know how we know this is an alternate future. Bajor has aligned with the Cardassians. It is a crazy thing to, uh, to, to ponder, although A, alt-future, B, 
there is kind of this notion which had been explored in in merely the previous two hour episode that uh that the Klingon Empire is on the rise and starting to starting to feel a little uh feel a little antsy, a little energetic again. So it certainly rolls off the tongue so quickly that it's surprising, but it's also surprising in the memory of old Jake. So I think that uh I think the story can get away with it. The point, though, Pete, is that Worf and Kira both urge Jake to leave the station, but Jake pleads with Kira to stay. In a low-lit scene with our characters in shadow and nominally backlit by the stars, this is a, a daring way to shoot it for for the 1990s, for no HD TV. I mean, heck, these episodes still aren't in HD, but at least we have, at least we have them in the best, uh, the best standard definition possible. Um, Jake's grief is real. It's potently real here, even though that we can still kind of figure out that it'll all be okay by the end of the episode. It, it still is just another moment where we buy this, even though we know that at the end of the hour, it's all going to be okay. You know, the station is thinning out. They call it a volunteer, a voluntary resettlement, but it's this discussion they have at the upper pylon about, Deep Space Nine having been a shell turned into a home that echoes for the future of Jake. With that, we find Jake alone in the corridor again. He sees his father flash into place again. This time, the two can touch, and it's explained that his temporal signature has been pulled out of alignment and into subspace. Uh, For all that kind of sci-fi window dressing, though, this story as all stories but this story in particular is driven by emotion the story moves to the the tangible uh ben cisco now in the infirmary and again the story needs to bow to the needs of emotion here though bashir and dax and o'brien are in the scene and working the techity tech to try and stabilize the thing they step away uh, not out of the infirmary, but step out of the, the view of the camera so that it can be Jake and his father. Cisco asks his son if he's all right. And with that, we see Jake breaking down. His grief is raw and potent and ours. Yeah, it's it's been minutes for Cisco, but it's been a year for his son. It's a, it's a very real and raw uh, scene. And, uh, you know, to tell him it's going to be all right. Of course, we know it's not going to go that way. He phases again. They're going to try to get a transporter lock, but he's gone. He loses him a second time. And the act ends with the admission from future Jake Sisko that having lost his father a second time, and now he's on his way out. I don't know if when the episode first aired uh, with not just the commercial breaks, but the actual, you know, time spent watching where you had a commercial and all that. I don't know if if they needed more this need to really lay on the story gas and, and, and reveal old Jake is dying. I felt like we didn't need that here. We're thoroughly engrossed. Now I don't have to sit through the commercial break. I'm not, you know, it's not, you know, well, this airs once per week and I need to watch it right now or I miss it. And, and, and all of that kind of the, these story things that drive, drive the, the structure of a, of a five act episode. 
I just felt all these years later, it was just a little bit too much to be like, oh, and by the way, I'm dying. Go to commercial. So with Act 3 here, already having this young writer. Oh, wait, she's not a writer yet because she says she's not. But Jake calls uh, shenanigans on that, says like, sounds like you're waiting for something to happen. Uh, oh, but she's reading and she's figuring out what she wants to write. Blah, blah, blah. Just write already. There's also the reveal, or at least the semi-reveal or the misdirect, that he's only dying insofar as he's getting older. Which initially, it had been a while since I uh, had last uh, watched this episode. Initially, it was like, oh, there's another cheap like act end, which, you know, whatever, 1990s TV. In retrospect, I kind of like that they... They sell you the full bill of goods ahead of the act break. Then you come back and it's like, actually not. And you're like, oh, TV. Instead, it's him actually saying, oops, I've said too much. Um, yes, for the purposes of a greater reveal later. But it, it, it's it's believable in the moment. Um, old Jake also reveals that Dax and O'Brien couldn't get Cisco to reappear, uh, to reappear, and the station was eventually turned over to the Klingons. We, it's kind of some story fast-forwarding here by way of uh, expositional narration. Jake studied writing on Earth. Pete, through Tony Todd's silky presentation, the years slide by. Old Cisco relating that the publishing of his novel came and life continued. Yeah, and uh, he settled by his father, or his father, his father's father, his grandfather in Louisiana. They still call the restaurant Cisco's. He wrote his big work at the desk right behind us. He met a woman. He fell in love. And for the first time, we get a flashback where now Tony Todd is playing an older Jake, but a younger Jake. Uh, Nog is still playing Nog. And there's the wife in the picture here, Corinna. There's some criticism online, Pete, that the Nog makeup does not age. To me, I, it looks like it ages. I mean, I, I, I will admit I didn't do a screen-by-screen -screen comparison to see how Commander Nog has aged uh, or, or, or how Commander Nog will age once becoming Captain Nog. But, I mean, to me, it's in line with, look, he's older and an alien. Um more important is that the chemistry between Aaron Eisenberg's Nog and Todd's Jake is wonderful, even though they have not spent four seasons together. You buy that Nog and Jake are these lifelong friends, even though the actors presumably are working together for the first time. And much closer in age than Aaron Eisenberg and Ciroc Lofton um, with Tony Todd here. But uh, we're going to have fish from the bayou because that's what you say. Uh, but why not with all these good slugs around? Why don't we do that? There's the requisite Ferengi food chewing joke. Um, but uh, they've had 20 years of their relationship is called out. Um, Nog and Jake. Uh, Nog starting to add to the pips on his collar there. And uh, he's he's gotten back to Deep Space Nine, Matt. It's 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 a little run down these days because it wasn't when they were on it. Well, Pete, I imagined it in kind of the 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 pilot episode 
Deep Space Nine state where there's just like the lights are half working and there's junk everywhere and boxes and and vermin and whatnot. I, I thought that it was evocative again, kind of. It's it's doing the story cheat here of oh let me tell you about a thing I won't show you, um, which we're we're in this whole section here where it's you know life goes on I'm married and now I got promotions we're kind of in this whole section here where they're kind of fast forwarding through dialogue not through showing, but it kind of works. But Pete, I hate to interrupt this narration. Back to old Jake, he breaks his teacup. That's TV code for he's not well. But no, no. Let's continue to tell his story. Back to adult Jake. He's hearkened to bed by his wife. Oh, mama. What could interrupt that, Pete? Well, he's not tired, but she isn't either. And, you know, the the pillow talk starts innocuously enough, Matt, about cover designs for books. But then ah, the face when your dad shows up, when you're about to do the hibbity-dibbity with the daughter-in-law he never met. Indeed, Pete. That's good enough to end the act. Act four, Jake introduces Cisco to Karenna, his wife. Uh, she says that they were married at Grandpa Cisco's restaurant in New Orleans. Or pardon me. She says New Orleans, suggesting that she's never been to the place since if you've been there, you call it one word, Nolans or Norlands, if you're not feeling Southern. Regardless, Pete, she has not been to Nolans. Um, but, but what she has been, Matt, is married to him uh, for seven years. Uh, they married in the grandfather's restaurant. No kids yet. Um, that, that might have happened had dad not shown up. But the subject of wasting time is broached for the first time here um that uh perhaps jake should be worrying about more important things than his father it's also revealed that there must be a subspace link between father and son that's why he appears to jake regardless of where jake is uh dax helped to find out the pattern and uh cisco is going to return when jake is an old man hey pete that's like in the 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 narrative frame story that 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 we have he's an old man then too i wonder if those two things will collide but uh his father's proud of what he's seen him accomplish thus far a wife a career uh but no sooner has he mentioned wanting grandchildren than he's gone again back to that uh that frame story of old Jake narrating this story. Uh, we're told that his marriage fell apart as he studied science, science in order to rescue his father. Jake was ready to recreate the accident, and Captain Nog gets old Dax and Bashir to crew the old Defiant. It's taken out of mothballs, sure is handy since it's a standing set, uh, and return them to the wormhole. Fun fact, it would have been Dax and Bashir and O'Brien, but uh, apparently uh, apparently the actor had uh, some kind of commitment, something else to do, another job, and thus is barely in this episode. But we have this subspace link that's been established between the two. There's a pattern. There's also considerable techno babble, Matt. Uh, Dax calculated that he would be an old man by the time his father showed back up. So at 37, we get the background here. He went back to school and his wife was patient at first, 
but that didn't last. By grad school, they were separated. As he earned his doctorate, he was also served with divorce papers, and it's all very tragic given how his personal uh you know, story had really kind of arced only the familial story uh, coming back down. And again, this is a whole section of the story that relies on direct narration, which is a no-no in the visual medium of uh, TV and film. But this is an episode that's lightning in the bottle, and it, it somehow just works. You're you're drawn into Tony Todd's performance, the tragedy of of young Jake, who I know at one point in the conception of this episode, they were they were planning on taking Sirak Lofton and kind of doing old man makeup and reached a point where they they felt that that wouldn't be convincing. Um, I I think it ends up being a. a a storytelling device that works for them because we're able to separate the boy who we've spent now we're into the fourth season. We're able to kind of separate the boy from the man in a way where if you used other means of, you know, you where it's not this clear difference of this is the one actor and this is the other actor, you kind of might have a more difficult time separating the youth from something this episode is exploring the 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 reality and adulthood that that the people around us uh start to die away and it's made more personal by having these two actors here they needed the defiant though so in comes nog as captain he rounds up the crew he gets the ship out of mothballs even wharf has thrown his weight around and matt it dawned on me here this is all good things again. This is the uh, finale of the next generation. The com badges are even the same. Well, I certainly will admit that the two stories have similarities. Uh, I think the fact that they are using the future imperfect slash all good things uh, uniforms, that's just, uh, I think that's that's what you do when you have a whole bunch of uh pre-made uniforms with pre-made logos ready to go and you just need to tailor it to the the dimensions of uh terry farrell and uh siddig el fidel and um so to me that i didn't kind of look at it as oh it's a cheat it was just uh, i i I know where they got those from that's like an in-universe and in production reference we have the aged dax bashir uh reference to two-dimensional controls you know remember back when that happened we can even stop back at morns for drinks all right that that just doesn't sound right <laughs> the good news though at least good news for the pace of the episode here is that the whoozy whatsy thingus is back in engineering too pete the wormhole inversion is happening again and it's working cisco reappears this time Jake and uh, Ben, they're both pulled into subspace, and Jake gets to tell his father that they've worked to get him back. But now it's time for, for Dad, as the wise father, to note that his son is now older than he is. He wants the update to Jake's life, which, as we know, but is getting pointed out poignantly to the father, it's a life that's been on pause for the sake of his father's rescue. 14 years, as a matter of fact. But... Matt, with all the technological advances, uh, com badges still can't pierce subspace. 
and uh, the bad news is broken by Jake to his father about his ex-wife that he stopped writing and it's become clear this has become an obsession he needs to let go of. And Jake is pulled back into ordinary space, sobbing as the act ends. It's strong words from the father uh, to, to the son. Uh, there's still time to make a better life. And we see that life at the act break. It's a life that has been a failure thus far. And uh, that's what takes us to the end of the act. Our final act here, morning, birds chirping. And uh, Jake wants to show her something on the desk. It's his new collection of short stories. She's happy to, to receive his stories. But Pete, she wants those handwritten copies so she can study his work. I think the, uh, the reference that you made at the start of the podcast uh, towards uh, J.D. Salinger is kind of shades of that here with uh, the, the prospect of, of new work. I, Harper Lee is welcome to think of it. And uh, not, a, not, not a bad place to go story-wise, I might add. But uh, the subject of posthumous publication and not enough time comes up. And uh, Melanie, as she is named now, she's, uh, she might not be much of a writer yet, but she can at least pick up keywords. Keywords like what, Pete? Like dying. Because old Jake, well, he froze his dad at that moment of time because of what happened. And their link together is elastic. And uh, Jake is about to cut the cord for Ghost Dad. The story perhaps is feeling that it's getting a bit late now, or certainly is feeling the pressure to start to wrap things up. Uh, th this metaphor of the cord, which uh, would go slack until Jake pulls them forward, then at the right time, if you can cut it, uh, it'll, it'll change all of this. I, I thought it was a really simple yet nuanced way to explain the subspace temporal blah 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 just to to make it accord with elasticity it's it's an inspired bit of of uh, easy narration there i think at this point uh with the idea that that old jake is dying it would have been tempting to keep melanie there for the climax but the story rightly excuses her for the conclusion no disrespect to the actress uh, or the character for that matter, but this this isn't her story. She's just there for the purposes of, of acting as the audience. And now that we know everything that we need to know ahead of the climax, uh, I personally was glad to see her go. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I was glad to see her go. I just think she's an artifice so that we can tell this story. Um, and, and we have to come back to the promise of poking your head up and, and looking around, but as Jake waits, he grabs the paper manuscripts, the baseball, uh, he sits in that old favorite chair. He'll only ever sit in for the last time, one last time. And, um, you know, he wakes and there's Cisco watching him and Matt, even on a multiple viewing, it gave me chills. The pace slows here, which is a counterintuitive move, but it pays off. 
in in these 40 short minutes thus far we've bought the idea that this is jake and the idea that his father has been watching him sleep for who knows how long it's a remarkable storytelling idea and avery brooks watching his son sleep while lit by the sun it's a remarkable moment of acting it turns out that cisco has been sitting there long enough to read jake's stories i mean it's just it's just a hauntingly lovely moment the dedication there uh for benjamin of course is not quite clear right away for the father who is coming home and it's this guilt that is racked uh, Jake all these years and and that's where I think again we come back to this story as essentially not a retread but a different way of telling the inner light story Cisco lives and retains all of these memories and then returns to the point of his quote unquote death um, and having seen his son's demise dodges this discharge and comes back to the boy who needs him to get a second chance. Hopefully, Matt, they'll be lucky this time. And as old Jake is dying here, he he hammers the point home. They must be together when Jake dies. And at the end of his life, Jake ponders getting a second chance. Uh, with that, Cisco is sent back without a flash or a zap or a special effects thing or a space that it's just a simple cut. And for an episode that is doing all these narrative flourishes of uh, a frame story and alternate future and time travel and sci-fi causes this to happen. It's such restraint here to just send him back to wrap the story up. Not for nothing. We can tell how it's going to end. It's not going to be next week on Deep Space Nine. The station recovers from the death of the captain. We know this is going to wrap up, but it's how we get there. And Avery Brooks carries the moment of realization and then simply dodges the bolt of light that that would have taken him away. He knocks Jake over and they're all right. They're all right now. For now. So, Pete, what is it, if we haven't stated it uh, clearly thus far, what is it that makes this episode a Star Trek essential? So unusual that in over 700 hours of Star Trek on TV, to have the main cast serve in a supporting role, uh, keyed particularly by Tony Todd's command performance as Jake Sisko. Um, the way in which we revisit the, uh, the different timeframes, uh, not to mention to develop a future timeline for a character like Nog, uh, it's gotta be one of the episodes we get more of him than we ever had definitely to this point. I think, too, there are so many great episodes of Star Trek where the message is clear. Think of the classic Trek episode, half the face is white and half the face is black, and it takes takes a certain hammering on the head home to say, oh my goodness, they're talking about the then-contemporary, and and I think many would argue still contemporary, issues of race. Uh, Save the Whales, Pete, that was, uh, hold on, about saving the whales. This is an episode where... I think it almost transcends an individual message. I was struck by 
how one takeaway is that we need to uh, we need to be progressive. We need to always be looking to the future. We need to abandon the, the the traditions that have come before us. We need to abandon the ways of the ways of the father. And I was gung ho on that, and then it occurred to me, it's by uh, using his father as a moral anchor that that Jake discovers the best way to do things. So you have a you have a an argument for being traditional as much as you have an argument for being progressive. And I like that this is an episode that can give you multiple lessons uh, for the world around us. With that, Pete, let's turn our attention to uh, to things in this temporal realm. Let's talk about Patreon. Uh, Matt, we're so, so fortunate in that people have gone to patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek. They have, uh, with their kindness, enabled us to do what we love and something we think uh, we're pretty decent at to bring you content. And, you know, there's some stuff on there that if you want to donate at certain levels, you're going to get a little something back in addition to this thing that we give you. It uh, it also at its core is uh, is what keeps the podcast running in terms of uh, helping us address those uh, bandwidth and storage costs. We're not we're not in the twenty third twenty fourth century yet, Pete. We're we're at some sort of post uh, post money future. So certainly big thanks to those people there, and uh, particularly for this for this uh, Star Trek focused podcast, we have. Uh, Star Trek Discovery News anticipated, uh, more coming out in September, and uh, certainly look forward to being able to share that on the podcast, and uh, that that goes through the same storage and, uh, and bandwidth uh, that all the rest of the stuff does, so thank you, Patreon patrons, or as Pete says, patrons. <laughs> but Pete, though there are gifts on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, everybody, many people say the greatest gift is being able to talk to you on Twitter. So how can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,193 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek, that is fantastic with the PH. And you can find us under that name on the .com, the Gmail, the Twitter, the Instagram. Pete, is there anything more? Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH. Click the like there and you will never have to dodge a subspace distortion to avoid being tethered to us. That is our solemn vow. Pete, also do just want to mention that uh, Mission New York, the Star Trek convention, that'll be, wait for it, in New York, the first weekend in September, will be there. Hope to see some other people too. So uh, certainly certainly uh, check out our social media followings, etc. So we can... Uh, Hey, if nothing else, meet up. That's some of the fun of going to these conventions. It's so awesome that the same uh, exhibitors behind New York Comic Con, a staple of uh, the Fantastic Geek yearly schedule, are bringing a Star Trek convention to the Big Apple. And uh, we'll be there. We'll be bringing you all sorts of information. Hope to see as many of you as possible when we're there. Well, with that, Pete... 
I will close Hailing Frequencies, and uh, I certainly look forward to talking more Star Trek Essentials next week. Bye-bye, everybody. I'm going to poke my head up and uh, check out some life. <laughs>